what you do is you actually start taking that mass, that one-to-many communication, and you start to drive more towards a one-to-some communication and ultimately potentially getting to a one-to-one communication or whatever version one-to-one looks like for a brand and or a, uh, a marketer. Hey, what's up, everyone? My name is Andre from Cartloop, and I'm very excited about this episode where I talk to Ryan McGuire, the VP of email and CRM from Tenuity. Tenuity is the largest independent performance marketing agency in the US, and probably you've heard of some of the brands they work with. Tommy Bahama, Rite Aid, Movement Watches, Converse, Etsy, and many more. Today's topics include one-to-many marketing, which is pretty much the first form of marketing and one-to-one marketing and how does the future of marketing will look like. And pretty much we're going to talk about how to build a solid foundation for email and SMS marketing success so your brand stands out and you also have that ROI continuously growing. Without further ado, let's get right into it. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, It's a pleasure being here with you. Tell us a little bit more about you, how you got started with uh, with CRM, email marketing, and what do you do today? Sure. Uh, like, I, Thank you for the, uh, for the invite. My name is Ryan McGuire. I am currently the VP of CRM and email uh, with the largest independent agency in the U.S. called Tenuity. I have responsibility for our CRM and email division, which represents over 100 clients, uh, primarily focused on full-service email and capabilities, but currently building out uh, additional CRM capabilities. How I got started in um, CRM and customer marketing is... About 15 years ago, I took an opportunity to uh, really start to dive into the world of customer data and loyalty uh, information. At the time, I left the world of consumer packaged goods. I was a brand manager for uh, Sara Lee Foods uh, when they had uh, some of their food brands in Cincinnati when I lived in the Midwest and took an opportunity to join a new uh, emerging um, agency that was actually a partnership with Kroger and it was all around helping Kroger to understand their Kroger Plus card data, which is their loyalty program. And it was being used in stores and they were capturing all that data, but they really weren't doing a lot with that data. They weren't really analyzing it. Uh, they were just kind of storing it and they were looking for some folks to help them understand that. So that's really how I got started in the journey about 15 years ago. And then I ended up spending eight years with Dunhumby USA in a variety of fashions. And then from that point forward have had a number of different roles, both on the agency side and on the client side uh, over that period, all around customer data, customer insights, and how to use that information to uh, target and create better, more relevant communications for consumers. Got it. And, and when, it, when it comes, like, if we, if we go back 15, 20 years, uh, what was the landscape like in terms of digital marketing? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a good question. I would say it was interesting because around this time, this was around 
you know, I started with Dunhumby USA in two, at the end of 2005, but really they started the partnership with Kroger back in uh, 2003 in a test and learn fashion. And really at this, at this point in time, customer data, loyalty data was really uh, almost like a brand new data source that people were starting to try to wrap their brains around and figure out how they could use it. Because we had a lot of traditional data at that point. We had a lot of the, you know, uh, holistic uh, IRI Nielsen panel data. We had um, other more traditional sources, but this was really at the beginning, really in the early 2000s up through the end of 2010, that's really that 10 year period was kind of when digital marketing started to get changed a bit with all these loyalty programs coming out and trying to figure out how to leverage that data to add on top of what we were already getting with their traditional sources, as well as what that data could give us from an insights perspective that some of those uh, other more traditional sources could not provide. Uh, and what are, what was some of the interesting insights that you discovered while diving deep into into the data that you, you had available? Yeah, I would say one of the things that you really start to understand is this whole mantra of you are what you buy. So that was very much a uh, belief that uh, we started to instill in our uh, stakeholders at Kroger, in all of Kroger's manufacturers, and um, within the organization itself, uh, Dunham USA, in really trying to break down the myth of people may say they do something, but then when you really look into their shopping cart and into their basket, it uh, really shows a different picture. So the way that I would describe it is people may say they eat healthy, but then when you look into their shopping cart and you start to see very unhealthy products and things, that's really where that mantra of you are what you buy. So it starts to give a different layer to the credibility of various data sources by saying, you know what, you may say that you're a healthy person, you may say that you're on a diet, but um, I can see what you're purchasing and it's telling a, a completely different story. Wow. And how did that, how did that impact the strategies that the, the brands were, were, were using to, uh, to reach the customers? Because I, I assume that there has been a change, in, a shift once that you figure out that, you know, the customers are saying one thing and they're doing another thing. Yeah, for sure. It really, especially when you're working with the manufacturers of these particular products, it really started to shift the landscape around who they should be targeting their marketing towards, who their target consumer was. You know, the old traditional um, demographic information of, hey, we're going after these individuals who are between these age ranges and they they have this household income. It really started to change that landscape and say, okay, there's a time and a place for that for sure. But when you're thinking about doing really targeted marketing on your products, you want to go after both those people that are buying your products today and what they look like. They may look like what you think they do, but they may not. That's one side of it. And then the other side of it is to use that information to actually model who would be that next set of customers that would be most likely to purchase. So it really started to to change how marketing dollars were spent and it started to change the language around how people talked about um, their target consumers because it wasn't the, it wasn't, excuse me, it wasn't just the traditional household demographics and um, age, income, all of that. It started to be that 
and then sliced at a whole nother layer within this age break. Here are the people that are purchasing our product. Here's what they look like. So it really started to complete the picture a bit more than what we've done historically. So this sounds like it's one of the first, uh, the first steps into personalization and segmentation of like audience segmentation. It absolutely was. So it was one of those things where a lot of the way that I kind of think about it is if you think about how marketing really got started, marketing really got started with a mass communication strategy. So one message being broadcast to a wide group of individuals, not very personalized at all. Really the whole point of that was creating awareness for your product. Okay. And then over time, as data information has become more granular, has started to tag things to individuals in various channels and things like that, what you do is you actually start taking that mass, that one-to-many communication, and you start to drive more towards a one-to-some communication and ultimately potentially getting to a one-to-one communication or whatever version one-to-one looks like for a brand and or a, uh, a marketer. And and as for the medium, I believe email marketing was the first one to uh, to unlock this personalization capability. Or have you tried some other medium that allowed this kind of one to one personalization? Yeah, we've definitely we've we've definitely tried. Um, Email has been one of the first and one of the more consistent uh, ways to do it, but definitely in a bunch of the other the other channels out there, this uh, one-to-one communication and really starting to personalize in a different way based on the data attributes that, that you have, um, it's definitely working down there. I think one of the things that continues to be a struggle in getting to one-to-one or, or some version of more personalized content is basically the quality of the data that you're using. So I know a lot of the situations that I've been in, in previous roles or in existing roles or working with customers is everybody, everybody doesn't want to make a mistake on personalization. So you don't want to think, you know, somebody's first name, somebody's last name or the products that they've purchased. You want to be a hundred percent sure on that. So a lot of people have, uh, tiptoed their way into this because you don't want to make that mistake that ends up giving you um, in the market some bad press. Uh, so people are a bit cautious. But as the data gets better, I think you'll start to see more and more brands uh, and uh, you know various uh, retailers doing a better job with personalization going forward. Yeah. Do you do you feel like? Today, people are still messing up personalization. I mean, have you have you seen brands, uh, you know, which uh, which failed in, in one way or another? You know, I, I I have seen some some circumstances with that. I th- I think the biggest thing that I see right now is not so much on the on the personalization side because of what I was saying earlier. Like people are personalizing using data attributes that they're really confident in. So I don't see too many instances or I haven't seen too many instances myself in terms of brands trying to personalize to me. What I seem to see more of is uh, almost an over-communication. So some of the brands that I think do a really good job with me personally on personalization 
are almost uh, negating that good personalization with a over communicatance cadence. Like they're, they're sending me way too many email communications or way too many SMS updates or way too many, you know, kind of retargeted ads based, based on search criteria and stuff like that. So I see more of that versus uh, errors in personalization, just because everybody, if you're going to do some level of personalization, everybody's basically taking the stance of we've got to be, a hundred percent behind that data point or very close to it before they'll even use it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, let's talk about retargeting because that's, that's a huge aspect Uh, as a marketer. That's one of the gold mines and one of the lowest hanging fruits. You you think like, okay, if someone, you know, viewed my website or purchased already, it's most likely they're going to purchase again, which is totally true. But uh, you know, from, from your background, having worked with so many brands, how do you, how do you make sure that people are, I mean, brands are not overusing retargeting and, you know, communication, uh, you know, up to a point where you get, you get fed up and you're like, you know, it's too much. I don't want to hear about this brand anymore. No, exactly. Um, I think that is the, I think that is definitely the challenge with retargeting is there's a, there's a missing link sometimes between whether or not you've purchased that product. And if that link can be made, like the example that I'll use is a number, number of years ago, we were in the market for um, buying a trampoline for our two uh, girls. So I did a bunch of searches on it and ended up actually making the purchase. And as I was during the process of making the purchase, I then started getting retargeted in a number of different searches that I was doing, which was totally fine, totally on on point with how the process should work. However, a couple days after that, I was still being retargeted, even though I had made the purchase, what would have been even better if we as marketers could have connected the dots behind the scenes is could have said, Ryan actually made this purchase. Now what we need to retarget him on is, Hey, here's uh, a retargeted ad for um, new trampoline netting in case it happens to rip. Here's a uh, long-term warranty plan that you might not have purchased. Like it would have been building on the purchase versus trying to drive the first purchase. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So basically what you're saying is that the same brand that you purchased from, they continue to retarget you with the same item that you already purchased. In this particular circumstance, it was actually a, um, it was that situation. And then there were also a couple other uh, outlets that I looked at that retargeted me as well, trying to get me to make that first first purchase because they didn't have the linkage that I had actually made a purchase with another retailer because they they could have mm. kind of repurposed those dollars towards maybe somebody else that was still in the market or they would have never really had visibility. So it's really not their fault that I had made a purchase with one of their competitors. The, the place that I made the purchase from when I explained that example of it would have been great for them to kind of update and say, oh, I actually made the purchase. Now let's go to this place from a retargeting standpoint. That's kind of where I would have expected the next level of retargeting to be on add-on services or something related to that purchase versus trying to get me to make that purchase again. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's a good time to talk about you know, how, how marketers look at different channels uh, today. I mean, some people, they swear about, you know, they swear about email marketing and others say like SMS is going to be the new king. Sure. And that's, you know, that's all fine. But as a marketer, um, what do you feel like it's the, 
you know, it's the right approach when it comes to all, all, all these different mediums that are emerging today. And, you know, email has been here for quite a while, but um, how should one look at, you know, let's just say I'm starting a brand, like where should I put my dollars first? How should I look at the whole, uh, you know, digital strategy? Yeah. So I think that's a great question. I would say one of the first things that I would do if I'm a marketer and I'm thinking about where to spend from a advertising standpoint is holistically answering the question of if I have a dollar to invest, where am I going to get the highest return on my investment? So that's kind of the first, the first place I would start. And there's lots of information out there that points to various channels and traditional returns on investment and things like that. So that's kind of one, one place to start. So that would be like a broad stroke. Then the next level down, what I would say is then it's all about what are the best channels to reach your targeted audiences. So one of the things that's, that's really interesting if you think about retail is there are still a lot of retailers that use direct mail as a uh, very consistent uh, advertising vehicle. And, you know, direct mail is interesting because it's had the same uh, things said about it that email has said, like, email's a dying channel, email's going to go away. I've heard the same thing about direct mail, but here we are in 2020, and there's still a lot of direct mail pieces that are mailed out hit consumers and actually generate the behavior that they're intended to generate. So you start to kind of look at there's return on investment and then there's, Hey, what is the way to reach your targeted audience? So I've worked at some very, very large retailers that had a uh, slightly older consumer base and they're much more comfortable with receiving direct mail, engaging with direct mail, using that as a way to actually uh, drive a purchase in store versus I've also been at places or worked with folks that are much more comfortable to say, hey, we understand the value of the return on investment in direct mail, but our consumer is a bit more digitally savvy. We want to go more down the email route or the SMS route or uh, starting to do work with uh, in-app notifications and push strategies and all of that type of stuff. So there's the return on investment that, that you start with at, at a holistic level. And then you start to think about who am I going to be able to reach by various channels, which then helps slice your audience a little bit more. And then kind of the third and final thing is thinking about how all those work together so that you really think about all right, if I have this entire, this dollar to spend, how am I splitting that up? What percent is going to direct mail or email or SMS? And how am I going to unlock uh, the audiences and get them to change their behavior? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when someone starts utilizing this diverse set of mediums and, you know, in, in conjunction with digital ads and, and so on, uh, what are some of the challenges when it comes to this multi-channel or on-channel on uh, approach? Because I, I assume there's there's a there's a there's a topic around attribution. Like, how do you attribute which one of these channels is actually the best performing one? Because sometimes, uh, you know, the dashboard the dashboard over uh, over email platform is going to say one thing, and then you, you check your SMS app, and it's going to be another thing, and then you're like, whoa, like, what should I do? Exactly. So um, I think you're hitting on a, on a few of them. One is just the 
the way that the channels work together. So I've seen experiences where uh, direct mail and email working together and targeting that same consumer in multiple ways has proved a very positive lift and return on investment. But I've also seen situations where let's take that same scenario the overtouching actually creates a opt-out on your email program or an opt-out on your direct mail program. So you've got to really balance and it kind of comes back to this cadence of communication and what is the right frequency based on the products that you're selling, the consumers that you're engaging with and things like things like that. So that's kind of one of the issues, but you're also highlighting attribution overall is just a problem in the marketing advertising space right right now because everybody wants to move away from last touch or last click attribution in the digital space but nobody has uh, at least i wouldn't say i shouldn't say nobody uh, a lot of people haven't gotten very comfortable with some of the tools that are out there versus what has been used historically versus new proprietary solutions that are being created. And it really comes down to you're trying to put a science behind something that's sometimes a bit of an art. So I always think about marketing being a combination of art and science and both you know, math and the numbers make sense, but there's also a human behavior element of this. And sometimes us as humans, we do irrational things that if you looked at the data, it wouldn't make sense, which is why I think attribution has been such a, a tough nut for a lot of people to crack over the last five to 10 years. Yeah, absolutely. And do you have some, you know, do you, do you have some examples where where you, you realize that attribution is is something that, you know, you initially thought a channel was working great and then you discover, oh, well, it's it's not so great because because of how the attribution uh, end up, you know, sh- like providing the data. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think the best example I'd probably give you, and this is probably a number of years, years old now, but it was in a conversation that I was having around um, each channel doing its own kind of return on investment and understanding the incremental sales that are generated by that channel. So each channel, think of direct mail uh, analysis, email analysis, SMS, loyalty and rewards, fuel rewards, things, things like that. They're all doing their, their individual um, basically return on investment or incremental sales models. Okay. And they're all saying, okay, this, this one, if you invest a dollar here, you get two and a half dollars in incremental sales return. If you invest that same dollar over here, you get $5 back in incremental sales. If you invest it over here, you get $10 back. So we were kind of going through that, that whole exercise. The problem with that is you're looking at everything in isolation and you're not doing the holistic uh, view. And I remember we were going through this process and one of the bits of feedback that I got both internally when from the team, when we were looking at it, as well as with the client is, all right, if what you're telling me is right, our total sales for our business should be two or three times what they actually are. Because what we ended up doing is we were overcounting because we were looking at things in isolation. And that's really what the attribution process starts to look like. It says, okay, we just generated a dollar in revenue. Where did that dollar come from? What percentage came from direct mail? What percentage came from email, SMS, all of this type of stuff? And unfortunately, what's been happening in the space has been 
everybody's having the same experience that I just uh, described, which is we're looking at individual channels and their return on investment in silos. And then as you start to bring it together, you start to see a completely different picture sometimes of, wow, email might not be as valuable to this brand that we thought previously, because when we start to bring the other um, channels together, it shows a different picture. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And how can, like, if, if we're thinking about this whole overview of, of the entire the entire stack, the entire, you know, the, the, all the channels that uh, one brand is is using. Uh, how how did how did Tenuity over overcome this uh, this problem? Or are you still struggling and finding you know trying to find a solution? Yeah, we're. I, I would say we're pretty much right right in the middle of it. We're we're working on um, our version of a attribution model and a proprietary solution that we can work with our clients on across industries and things like that. And what I would say is we're the the approach that we're that we're taking is we're taking a data first approach and really working on the inputs. So from my perspective, a lot of the problems with attribution over the years have been, you have the wrong inputs or you're not getting the updates of the inputs on a frequent enough basis. So if you work with what are the data points that we need and do we need to make sure that our, we need to make sure that our foundation is solid. If you start from that and then you put the math on top of it and all of that, it all makes a lot more sense versus the other way to think about it, which is we've got this really cool algorithm or we've got this really cool calculation that we think is going to work. And now we're going to back into what the inputs are and things like that. For me, that is one of the pitfalls that I've seen in attribution. So I'm really happy with how Tenuity is doing it and how we're building it from a data perspective and then rolling it out from there. That's, that's really interesting. And uh, as for the foreseeable future, is this is your tool going to be internal use only or you plan on on licensing or putting it out there for other other companies. Yeah, no, it. no, it's 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 definitely going to be uh, generally available to the market. Uh, actually, wow. in some some forms or fashions, it already is. So it's definitely um, something that that we're getting out on the market and we're actively uh, talking to clients about and looking to leverage across industries and across our our various divisions. So for sure, awesome. I guess we'll see uh, in the in the you know in the near future what's uh what's your solution to this attribution problem which you know i've been speaking with so many founders and digital marketers and it seems that right now it's just like a black box for sure for for sure and with that you know i think the biggest i think the biggest thing that everybody who's working in attribution wants to do is they want to be able to move away from the black box so that everybody can kind of see what's happening behind the curtains because once you get that visibility then you start to instill trust. And I think that's the biggest thing that's happened in the attribution space is we haven't built up the trust, whether it's a tool that's out in the market or what we're, you know, each individual company is doing. There's, I think, a trust aspect that needs to be achieved in order to really get people comfortable with the attribution model and getting away from the black box, I think is going to totally help that. Yeah, absolutely. And when it comes to putting together all these channels, uh, is there is there something like a like a bad advice you hear sometime, or something that you see people doing it wrong, and you're like, 
Why is like, why are they doing that? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, there's, there's a couple ways to think about it. There's, there's the strategy of using these channels together as a holistic communication strategy and basically saying, okay, I'm going to communicate the same message in email that I'm going to communicate in direct mail that I'm going to push via a uh, SMS message. There's that strategy, but there's also the strategy of I'm going to use each of these individual channels, not necessarily as building on each other, but as unique channels to create different types of communication. So I've seen brands and retailers use SMS, for an example, as purely a transactional channel. So send a order confirmation uh, SMS, send an order ship notification via SMS and that type of stuff. And then they use direct mail as a marketing channel. They use email as a marketing um, channel as well. They may use, you know, some other things. So it really all depends on the strategies of the particular brands or, or products that people are trying to sell, which in my mind helps really think about, do you use these channels in, in combination with, with each other to share the same message or do you use them um, to send different messages? I personally, as a, as a consumer, I've seen, I've had examples of really, really good kind of holistic communication where I'm getting um, communicated uh, appropriately with in multiple channels with a very similar message. Like one of one of, one of my favorite um, brands that I think does a really good job on this is Starbucks. So I get direct mails from Starbucks. I get emails from them. I have the app. I get push notifications. I get all kinds of different communications and are all relatively tied together. Like one of the communications I just got was a reminder because um, I haven't been to that many Starbucks over the last couple months because of COVID-19 uh, and things like that. But I had some stars that were expiring and they basically sent me a notification uh, via email and said, hey, you have some stars expiring. Here's the process to go ahead and order and did that. And over the weekend, I got my wife and I some Starbucks, I think it was on Sunday morning and used those stars. So I didn't lose it. So for me, that's a great communication. It actually, from a revenue standpoint, hurt Starbucks because I got those those drinks for free. But that's only from a short-term revenue standpoint. If you think about the longer term or the lifetime value of me as a Starbucks consumer, I've been in that brand for 10 plus years now. I've had their app. I, you know, I download money to pay via the app so they don't have to pay credit card fees. You know, there's all this stuff that's happening for them. So it's really thinking about, okay, not just the short term, but the long term. So I thought that was a good recent example of um, a company that's doing a good job of holistic communication across channels. I think, I think that's an awesome example. And I mean, you know, someone would be listening to, to, to this right now and would be thinking like, you know, I just got started or, I, you know, my brand is just generating, you know, a couple of million dollars per year. Um, how do I go from a non-holistic approach to this I would say super personalized approach. Like maybe you have some actionable steps uh, that whoever listens to this can, you know, can implement starting tomorrow or today. Something that's not gonna, it's not gonna crush their budgets or they're not gonna be overwhelmed. Like what are some basic steps that one can, uh, one can start doing? Sure. Um, I would say some, some very basic steps are 
what I would consider kind of foundational blocking and tackling type stuff. So if you're just getting started and you're thinking about, hey, I want to set up a email uh, database and be able to do some email marketing, a couple of things that I would say on that front is, you know, have you spent the time to put the foundations in place around, hey, I feel good about uh, the agency that I'm working with who's um, kind of helping me set up all aspects of a full service email program, or am I going to do it in-house? And if I'm doing it in-house, do I feel confident in the team that I have, that they have the knowledge, they have the expertise to be able to manage the database, cleanse the database, understand how to do uh, basic segmentation, how to send, uh, how to do targeting of the campaigns, how to do reporting on the back end, how to really test and learn. I'm a big fan of test and learn and test and learn is a great way, especially when you're first getting started and you have a, a small budget or maybe a small number of consumers, do some test and learn and be able to test with a couple hundred consumers versus a couple million. So there's lots of ways that you can test and learn, do A-B tests, do multivariant tests, do all of that type of stuff to really start to understand and learn without breaking the bank in terms of your budget. So those are kind of some of the, some of the basic things is really get your foundation in order. I mean, I always, I always kind of think about everybody needs to uh, get their foundations right before they can build, whether that's in marketing. Uh, I've talked to my girls about that as they start to play sports and they make changes on sports. It's, Hey, you're only going to get better if your foundations are strong and then you can build off that foundation. And I think the same thing would apply to anyone who's getting started with a initial marketing program. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the question that some, some people maybe wondering is, you know, I just got started with email. I, you know, I have some traction. Um, when would it make sense for me as a brand, as a brand founder or as a, you know, as a team to go and talk to an agency and uh, when would that make sense? You know, you can be like, you know, a number like in revenue or number of pages per month. Like how do you, how do I know I want to take this and I have to take this uh, to the next level by working with an agency? Sure. Yeah, there's a there, there's a couple things on on that that I would say. One is trying to understand um, what percentage of your revenue today is driven by the email channel. So this can be um, kind of a rough guess. This can be you know a little bit more math and and science behind it. But starting to understand if hey, if I'm getting to the point where I'm at 5% or 10% of my overall revenue that we think is generated by email as a, as a particular channel, that's really when you start, in my mind, just from a percentage standpoint, you start to say, okay, we've got something here. We really want to get, get going with it. That's one, one way to approach it and then start to say, okay, I think if I worked with a agency, they could really help me build on this foundation and then put the right activities in place to grow this and take this from, let's say it's 10% of revenue to 20% to 25% to, to 30%. That's one, one way. The other way to think about it too is if you're a brand, new brand, and let's say you're, you're very e-commerce focused and you're just kind of getting started. Uh, 
there's a lot of value in at least having a conversation with an agency, even before you're getting started to say, hey, we don't know what is the most appropriate um, channel or set of channels to engage with. Can you guys give us some perspective from experience that you have working with similar brands, similar industries to kind of let us get a perspective of what would this look like if we even started the program with you guys? Cause you know, there are so there are folks like Tenuity as well as other agencies out there that can actually help get things off the ground from, from day one and help kind of say, okay, here are the things you need to think about when you're even going down the route of building a email database or building a, uh, SMS, uh, communication, like the platforms to consider pitfalls, timelines, all of that type of stuff. So I think it's, um, I think there's a couple different ways that the agencies can help, uh, and get things off the ground. But I would say, you know, in most circumstances, if, if you as a, um, a brand or, um, a retailer or whatever business you're in, if you're thinking about going down this path, I think just at least having an initial conversation is a good one. Yeah. And, uh, you know, with, with, uh, with one of the closing thought, thoughts is how does, how, how can one brand make sure that they, they make the right decision when it comes to working with an agency? I mean, recently, like pretty much every day or every week, I see someone launching a new agency and there's like so many of them. How, like, how do one brand or, you know, a team can decide whether, you know, this is a reputable agency uh, and it's something that, you know, it's worth putting the dollars into, or it's just someone starting at an agency today and, you know, you're not sure uh, what kind of results it's going to bring. How can, how yeah. can one make that difference? Yeah, I would say one of the, one of the biggest things when you're going through the evaluation process is, you know, it's a very tried and true statement, but past performance is the best indicator of future performance. So when you're looking to evaluate agencies, take a look at what their existing client base says about them, what previous clients say about them. I'm a big believer in leveraging um, case studies that have been published by that agency, the clients that they work with, understanding if they have expertise in your particular area, have, if, have they been there, done that before? That's definitely uh, a huge part of it for me. And if I was on that side thinking about the evaluation of it, of, of an agency, that's part of it. But there's also a bit of, does the agency match my overall brand's culture? So I think a lot of agencies uh, sometimes struggle to retain certain types of clients because of misses in culture between the two organizations. So culture for me, obviously, is a big thing within everybody's business, but it's also an, an important thing to make sure culturally the brand and the agency is aligned. So those are kind of two of the tips that I would give. Yeah, that, that's really interesting insight because I haven't thought about the culture part. Obviously, the case studies are, are huge, but never thought about you know how, how an agency would fit uh, my culture. Gotcha. And as you know, as for the future, what is what is next for Ryan McGuire? Yeah, I would say for me, um, you know, I've been with Tenuity uh, a little over a year now, and have really worked over the last year to get ourselves in a position from a 
CRM and email standpoint where we have a very solid and growing foundation of full service email clients, but we also have started to build additional CRM capabilities that we're going to be layering onto some of those clients as well as putting out in the market. So I think what you'll see over the next six to 12 months for me and for the CRM and email division at Tenuity is you'll start to see us launching some additional channels that we can then help our clients uh, dip their toe in, start to uh, think about things a bit more holistically. You know, next month in uh, August of 2020, we're going to be broadly launching our SMS service. So we've been kind of soft launching that through Q2 and working with a number of clients uh, who we started with on email and now are working with us on email and SMS. We're starting to kind of work in those two channels together. So the way that I think about this is we're going on this evolution from email full service only offering to adding SMS, which in my mind puts us into this kind of email plus. So email plus one other channel. But then as we get towards the end of 2020 and we get into 2021, it starts to become email plus SMS plus maybe in app or push notification. And you really start to think about a holistic CRM strategy where email is the core of it, but it's being augmented and you're using SMS in a additive way you're using push notifications in an additive way so you'll you'll start to see more of that from me and from the uh, crm and email division at tenuity over the next six to 12 months that's awesome i think it's exciting and i'll be definitely uh following you guys and keep an eye on on your on your progress yeah now, that's great the final, thank you definitely as as for the final question um if you could send one text message to every person in the world, uh, what would it be? Yeah. You know, I thought a lot about this. Uh, I thought a lot about this question and, you know, we're living in just really, really unprecedented times and things are crazy on a bunch of different fronts. So um, probably if I could send one message to everyone and do kind of a, like we were talking about earlier, do a mass awareness uh, text to everybody, basically. What I would say is, given where we are right now, my message would be the world needs more love and less hate. Um, that would probably just be the message that I would push out because I think it's very true. And I think it's a message that if I had that platform to communicate to everyone, I would want to say, the world just needs more love and less hate right now. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with that. All right. Thank you so much, Ryan, for joining me today. Uh, where is the best place for people to connect with you? Yeah, so I would say, you know, obviously you can connect uh, via a number of the Tenuity outlets. So you can, you know, follow Tenuity on LinkedIn. You can follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm on Twitter uh, as well as, you know, some other some other channels. But those are probably the best places, uh, I would say, LinkedIn, Twitter, as well as a number of the Tenuity um outlets via um, 
our website and some other uh, various communications that we have out in the marketplace. Thanks for joining us today. If you're on Shopify, check out cardloop.io or just search for Cardloop in the Shopify app store. Cardloop is a text messaging platform your customers will love. It not only helps you increase your sales, but it also provides a better shopping experience for your customers by building one-to-one relationships with each one of them through text messages. And the cool thing about it is that there's no time required for you and your team as we've got a whole team of experts handling the conversations 24-7. If you want to learn more about it or test drive Cardloop, we've got a 7-day free trial. So just go to cardloop.io and get started for free. We'll see you in the next episode. Take care.